Let's play a game. I'm gonna read a scenario and I'm gonna put it up on the screen and at the same time, a moment is gonna pop up in the chat and I want you to click the button that says, that's me, if the situation that I read bothers you. It's completely anonymous, so don't worry about anybody knowing. Here we go. People who show up late all the time. People who refuse to return the shopping cart and just leave it in the parking lot. People who text before 7 a.m. or after 10 p.m. for non-urgent things. People who don't pick up after their dogs. People who have no knowledge of a certain topic but will argue as if they do. People who bring their children to situations that are not appropriate situations for children. People who post political rants on Facebook. People who don't wash their hands after using the bathroom. People who ask a question that has already been answered previously in a text. And people who don't like animals. Okay, so the title of the sermon today is called Don't Judge. Gotcha. Let's just get into it, shall we? Let's just throw it out there. Each and every one of us judges other people in some capacity. Whether you're a Christian or not, conservative or liberal, young or old, cat person or dog person, we all have a moral and behavioral triggers in other people that just make us judge. How many times this week did you roll your eyes at someone who behaved in a way that frustrated you? Or you wrote someone off because you thought they were dumb? Or you started a sentence or a thought with something like, if you don't believe, insert moral standard here, then we just can't be friends. I'll go first and confess mine. For me, I judge youth pastors harshly. You see, even though I've been a youth pastor for 20 years, being around other youth pastors and engaging with them makes me so angry. I've been ashamed to be around them at points. Because in my head, there are two types of youth pastors. Now again, remember this is me confessing my judgy hearts to you, so don't, don't get all angry. But there's normal ones, like me, or weird ones, not like me. And the weird ones are usually either people who were super popular in high school that never grew up and just continue to surround themselves with more teenagers to continue being popular, or they really struggled to find friends in high school and now use their youth group kids as like a security blanket for their own insecurities. I even play this game on Facebook. Uh, I'm in a few nationwide youth pastor groups, and if someone posts something super dumb, before I go look at their profile, I'll do this. I'll try to assume how old they are, what part of the country they come from, and if they're a man, what kind of facial hair situation they have going on. And usually, Aaron, with his wiry attempt at a goatee, the 19-year-old, fresh out of high school from Arkansas, after one year of youth ministry, feels called to train other youth pastors after all the years of experience he has in youth ministry makes me furious and that, and that he represents me and other youth pastors out there in the world. Whew, harsh. Did I say that? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, but hey, if I'm going to make the claim that we all judge, I just thought I'd share first in a spirit of transparency. To quote Earl Nightingale, though, when you judge others, you don't define them. You define yourself. And in those moments where I'm judging other youth pastors, all I've really done is defined myself as arrogant and elitist. And this is where I think as a church, we need to stop and do a little self-reflection. The church, and let's just limit it to the Western evangelical church, because that's what we are, has always and will always be defined by its faith in Jesus. But 
we have a tendency to add additional requirements to this definition and in effect create these dividing lines on who's in and who's out, right? Like faith in Jesus is about being transformed, your attitudes, your beliefs, your morals, your desires, your future even. And it feels so good to have those things transformed, to find reconciliation in relationships, healthier ethics in your business practices, solid foundation to fight against being swayed by powerful personalities or cultural trends, and forgiveness of our sins. All of those things feel good to have. And when we've experienced those things, we also notice when they're absent in others. And that's where things get messy. It gets messy because historically, in our attempt to get these same good things happening in the lives of people around us, we've linked it to behavior and values, not faith in Jesus. This is what I mean. Let's start with Jesus in the church. Jesus is the source of new life, forgiveness, etc., etc. We talked about that. And the church is the group of people around Jesus who are choosing to follow him. Now the church, people who have found life in Jesus, have looked around at each other and combination of that and what they read in the Bible, they've kind of drawn a circle around Jesus and have either intentionally or unintentionally defined how a person has to behave or what a person has to value to be in that circle. And the church isn't stupid. It knows that not everyone has the same kind of devotion. But at least there are people that if they're not in the inner circle, maybe they've kind of put them in the next outer circle. Maybe this is where new Christians are, or people who, that are curious about faith in Jesus um, are put, because they still have some behaviors or values to work on or whatever um, before they're in that inner circle of real Christians. And then realizing that there are still even more folks out there that either haven't heard the gospel, don't believe it, or are antagonistic to it, the church just kind of puts all those people outside the circle. Now, each church might define these lines differently, but there's kind of a synthesis of ideas along these lines that have developed in the Western Evangelical Church. Now, ultimately, the goal is to get as many people close to Jesus as possible. But along the way, churches, and, and some more than others, have made it more about what side of the line people are on and the fact that to get to Jesus, people really have to go through your values and beliefs. You see the problem with that? Like, if you're Harry Potter fans right now, you might start getting those Dolores Umbridge vibes. Like, have we just become a bitter, cranky person that needs people to fall in line with our worldview or be damned? When we look at it this way, it's not that surprising to hear that Christians on the whole have developed a reputation for being some of the most judgmental people. We've heard stories of Christians refusing to tip wait staff because of their waiter's sexual orientation. We've heard of stories of Christians being aggressively critical of public school system curriculum. We've heard stories of Christians leading the charge and shaming women for a variety of different reasons. We've even heard stories of Christians basically kicking family members out of their own family because of who they voted for. Now, nobody likes to be judged. People generally set their own rules and don't like it when others point out their infractions. And so a favorite verse to quote in defense of people that feel attacked is the ones that we're going to look at today. They're from Luke 6, verse 37 through 42. And Jesus is talking to his disciples here. In verse 37, he says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be used to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. 
And it finishes up in verse 41. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly and remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the first question I have when reading this is, what did Jesus mean when he said, do not judge and you will not be judged? Does Jesus mean that judgments should never be made? And if we let other people do whatever they want, do we get to do whatever we want? I mean, that sounds fun. But if you look at the Bible as a whole, that's not really the overarching message that I read. I think most reasonable people will back off and acknowledge that some judgments do have to be made. But when and how? That's the question. We definitely get a sense that there are certain problematic judgments that can be made. But I think we can acknowledge that there's a legitimate place for judging others. For example, Jesus is not ruling out the legitimate place of judging others in a civil arena or church courts. Judges must render verdicts in courts and law. Elders must decide discipline cases in the church sometimes. Managers must judge their employees' performance. Teachers must assess their students, and so on. Later in the same chapter, Jesus himself does call his disciples to judge people based off of the fruit of their lives. So let's break these verses down. The first thing we're told is not to judge, and as a result, we won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Remember, we're operating with the assumption that Jesus was not speaking against all forms of judging others. It is irresponsible not to make judgment calls and be discerning in many kinds of situations. But on the other hand, there are times when Christians are called not to judge others. And this may be part of what Jesus means in this verse. These words, judge and condemn, sound very stingy to me. They pretty much have the same meaning in the original Greek too, to judge, decide, to pass sentence upon. I picture a judge on a bench with a robe and a mallet, someone that obviously has the authority to decide the future of an individual. But that's not our role. It never has been. And yet remember the circles? We have a tendency to wrongly put ourselves in that role. Dr. Philip Ryken, president of Wheaton College, wrote this. Before we make any judgments, we need to consider whether it really is our place to judge. We need to ask ourselves what our role is. If it is not our place to judge, and often it isn't, then we should keep our opinions to ourselves. Otherwise, we run the risk of overstepping our bounds or even putting ourselves in the place of God, who alone has the right to judge. I also want to think about that word condemn a little bit. I may be wrong, but I think our desire to condemn others is often from an unrealized revelation of what is going on inside of us. For example, I now realize that I'm highly critical of young youth pastors who think they know everything and want to be the most popular person in the room because I was once that kind of youth pastor. Early on in my career, I had bigger dreams of being on stage than being with people. I dreamt of being in front of thousands of impressionable youth leaders looking to me for wisdom as I'm a well-known speaker and influencer. The problem was that it was my own vanity that I was valuing and not my calling to serve youth. So I see that in others now, and I want to slap those notions out of them and condemn them as useless youth pastors. But it's really my own stuff in here that I have issue with, that I'm often blinded by. In our text, Jesus really is addressing the attitude of our hearts. Jesus is opposing judgmentalism, an attitude of stinginess of who's in and who's out of God's love and God's community. A judgmental person is someone whose judgment is unwarranted or improper. It censors and seeks to hold others down in guilt and never seeks to encourage. Or it's hostile towards others and the other side of whatever line they drew in the sand. 
Are you quick to assume the role of judge? Are you quick to condemn others? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. When do you find yourself making moral evaluations of other people? So, Jesus says, you're not the judge. You never were. That's not your job. What your job is, though, is to forgive and to give to others. If judging and condemning represents a stingy spirit, forgiveness and giving to others represents a generous spirit. Jesus is teaching is that Christians can and do forgive. This is not to say that they don't struggle with forgiving or that they aren't free from battles with bitterness or hatred or that they're never hurt, so hurt in such an emotional shock that they're unable to respond with forgiveness. But it is to say that they work at forgiving and ultimately can forgive by God's grace. But Jesus calls his disciples to do more than forgive. They're to give. It's one thing to forgive a person for what that person has done to you, but it's another thing altogether to go a step further and do something to bless that person. This is, of course, what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? He has not only forgiven us, but more than that, he blesses us on a daily basis, far more than we deserve. John 3.16, the famous Bible verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. The next verse, John 3.17, says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What could be more generous than that? So if the old mindset is to draw lines and judge who's in and who's out, Jesus seems to have a problem with that. So a new mindset is needed. One where maybe we care less about how close or how far people are away from Jesus and care more about what direction they're facing. Let's be honest. There are people that look, sound, and feel the part of a devoted Christian. They would be seen as in this inner circle, but their eyes and their heart are not really set on Jesus at all. They're deceptively pointed in a totally different direction, and that's often guided by self-interest. Are they still in? Are they out? I mean, they're doing and saying all the right things. They look like us and validate our values and we feel comfortable around them, but I don't know. What about the person that you might have put on the outside of all those circles? They say things you'd never say. They do things you'd never do. They love people you'd never love. They probably didn't even vote for the people you ever think about voting for. But they're starting a journey towards knowing Jesus and they're seeking to make sense of how Jesus is at work in their lives. Are they still out or are they in now? Does that even matter? They don't look like you, and that's scary. And you're more comfortable with them at a distance, and so you fight to put on that robe and grab your gavel to do some judging instead of finding ways to give, to give them access to Jesus. Yeah, this new model is scarier. All the borders are gone. We've removed the security of being a judge. But the reality is, remember, we never occupied that role in the first place. So when Jesus says, don't judge, I believe he's asking us to move from a spirit of stinginess to a spirit of gener generosity. Because that's what Jesus starts talking about next in Luke. He says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's how one scholar describes this ancient custom. If you're measuring corn, there's a process that's carried out according to an established pattern. See, the seller kind of crouches on the ground with the measure between his legs. And, and first of all, he fills the measure three quarters full and he gives it a good shake, you know, and like a rotary motion to make the grains kind of settle down in. And then he fills the measure to the top and he gives it another shake. And then next he presses the corn down strongly with both hands. 
Finally, he heaps it into a cone, tapping it together to press the grains carefully. And from time to time, he'll bore a hole in the cone and pour a few more grains into it until there is literally no more room for another single grain. In this way, the purchaser is guaranteed an absolute full measure. It cannot hold any more. How beautiful would our world look like if Christians were more known for this kind of generosity than the judgmental spirits that we can so easily default to? So if that's the goal, the way we're to walk in faithfulness with Jesus, then here are some practical steps. First, if you're going to be concerned about the values or behaviors of someone, it better be yourself. Remember verses 41 to 42 says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's pretty harsh stuff, but absolutely appropriate to call us out on if that's what we're doing. Sometimes we'll consistently pick on the nitty and gritty of others until they change, but won't take the time to work on ourselves. Interesting note, this word for plank here refers to a main beam in a building or a house that is relied upon for the support and integrity and safety of the building. So maybe it's time that each of us do a little assessment of what main beams we have supporting our judgmental attitudes and worldviews and removing them and rebuilding them with beams that support a more generous and gracious spirit in our life. And yeah, that's going to be messy and will take some confession and experiencing God's forgiveness in your life. But I'm confident that you will not see the world or the people in it the same way when, you, when you're done. You will have restructured your life and have learned to look beyond the lines that you've made to see people. Another practical step, once you're seen more clearly, is to learn to point out the possibilities for others and not their failures. This is what I mean. Humanity is all in the same boat or on the same road or whatever kind of metaphor you want to use. We all struggle with sin and we hurt each other and we deal with the brokenness in this world and we're all trying to navigate it safely. Now imagine that we're on this journey and this place, it's dark, we can't see and we need help. Now, thankfully, Jesus has made a way for us through all this, and he's walking with us through it, and he's our guiding light. And so now, imagine in the darkness, you have a flashlight in your hand. And so you're navigating your brokenness, but you're equipped with your flashlight, and as long as you have it pointed forward, you can see where you're going. And along the way, you bump into someone that you just don't see eye to eye with. You don't trust them for whatever reason. They might have hurt you. Uh, they believe things that you don't. They're of a different political flavor but you notice that they have a flashlight too. Now remember, your goal is to point out the possibilities, not failures. But boy, is it really tempting to shine that light in their face and tell them everything they're doing wrong. What are you doing? How, what would you be thinking? How could you, how could you even do that? And I bet it could be really tempting for them to shine their flashlight in your face and return the favor. What are you doing? What were you thinking? How could you even do that? And there you are, blinding each other with your judgments. I don't think you're going to get anywhere. In fact, if you keep walking using the light of Jesus to blind each other, you're probably going to end up tripping, getting lost, or getting hurt. And this is what I think of when I read verse 39, when it says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? If we can learn to lower our flashlights, point them out of people's faces, and on the possible road ahead to healing and forgiveness that Jesus has shown us, instead of the shortcomings of everyone around us, and I think we'll all end up where we, need, where we need to be. 
Now, don't read into this metaphor that I think there's other guides or lights out there other than Jesus that are leading people to God. The flashlight is a metaphor for the light of Christ in our different lives, not different religions. The final practical step I suggest is to try to step into someone's shoes to get to know people more. Remember, go beyond forgiving to giving. Be curious of who people are and what they're going through. This can help you increase your capacity for compassion because when you put a face and a name to someone you know with something that scares you, you're reminded that you're just as human as they are and both of you are in need of saving. The band The Brilliance says it beautifully in their song called Brother. It says, when I look into the eyes of my enemy, I see my brother, I see my sister. So let's play another game. I'm going to read off a situation that you might have experienced and it will be up on the screen but a moment will also pop up in the chat. And if you've experienced this situation, I just want you to click the response button that says, that's me. Again, it's completely anonymous. No one will know who clicks. So be honest, because that's how this exercise is going to work the best. My hope is that as we read through these situations, you will see that there are people in our church that have gone through things just like you have, or through things that you can even imagine, and they're going on in the background, and you're just judging them for something else. And hopefully our capacity to be generous and compassionate will increase. Being human in this world means that we come into contact with pain and difficult situations, and none of us want to be defined by them. You don't, and you shouldn't want anyone else to either. As Christians, we have a unique position to forgive and give grace to others. So click That's Me for each statement that is true for you. I often get judged for being unreliable because I'm late or cancel a lot, but people just don't realize that all the things I'm doing and managing is overwhelming me. I feel like I'm trying my hardest, but it never seems good enough. People have made false assumptions about me because of my gender. People have made false assumptions about me because of my skin color. I have made mistakes in my past that people can't see past. People have evaluated my intelligence based on my career. I don't feel anyone listens to me because of my age. I'm afraid of the stigmas that would come along with the things I've done sexually. People have made hurtful comments about my weight. Parenting is really hard for me and I struggle with a lot of guilt. I'm afraid to open up about my mental health. I seriously question whether or not God is real. My marriage feels like it's falling apart and I'm afraid of what others would think of me if they knew. I'm really close to giving up on Christianity because Christians have been some of the people who have hurt me the most. I know I have a problem with drugs and or alcohol, but I don't know what to do about it. I've been told to stop grieving over a loss that I've suffered. I'm tired all the time, and as a result, I can come across as mean or dismissive. I struggle with asking people for help because I've been let down by so many other people in the past. I feel I can never share my thoughts with those close to me when it comes to politics. 
the pandemic and how our society has dealt with it has given me increased anxiety. I struggle with the loss of a dream I once had for my life. Thank you for doing those and being honest. It's, it's humbling, isn't it, to see how broken humanity is? We aren't in the judging seat, friends, but we have a unique position to forgive and give grace to others around us as we follow Jesus together. If any of those situations are things that you would love prayer for, please email one of our pastors or click the prayer button in the chat. You will find that there are people here who want to walk those paths with you. So to wrap this up, I have three questions for you. Number one, when do you find yourself making moral evaluations of other people? Number two, whose shoes do you need to try to walk in? And number three, what is a plank or a log in your own life that you need to remove?